0: This is from Lamentations chapter 5, verses 15 to 22. Hear the word of the Lord. The joy of our hearts has ceased, and our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. For this, our heart has become sick. For these things, our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. Unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. And also a brief reading from the Gospel of John and then a brief reading from The Crucifixion of Jesus. The Gospel of John, chapter 16, verses 31, down to 17, verse 2. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you, that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And when Jesus spoke these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And now briefly from the Gospel of Luke. Luke 23, verses 44 to 49. It was now about the sixth hour. There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw that he had been, what had taken place, they returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. The word of the Lord please be seated everybody. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations and conversations of all of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable to you, our Lord and Redeemer. Amen. Thank you all for spending some of your Good Friday with us here today as we meditate um, upon that wondrous cross that we just sang to the Lord about. Um, I'm mindful of the cross behind us, draped in purple and draped in black. You should know that purple is is the color that the worldwide church uses during the time of Lent. And black is a particular color that the church uses only on Good Friday. And right now, as we are worshiping the Lord, there are millions of Christians in Africa, Brazil, China, Japan, Europe, that are surveying the wondrous cross. And their churches are, are robed in purple for our King Jesus, and also robed in black because he died for us on this glorious day. It is a Good Friday. Interesting we use that word good, isn't it? Good Friday. I think sometimes we're a little bit ashamed to call it Good Friday. It's good because it anticipates Easter Sunday. It's good because Jesus died for us, but it's not good because of what we did to him. It's not not good because of how the apostles left him. It's not good because of, of the weight of the divine judgment that Jesus had to carry. And so I think we're we're hesitant of of calling it good, but it really is Good Friday. My hope this morning, as you leave here, that you will say with a clear conscience that this is a good day. And it's a good Friday. I was going to Central Market um, last week, and we moved from Santa Fe here about a year and a half ago. We don't have Central Market in Santa Fe. Central Market's awesome. And I was listening to the radio, um, just the local... Uh, PBS station, KRA, and there was an interview of a woman who just struck my attention. She said, I was raised in an atheistic home, and I I dabbled in Christianity as a young girl. I thought, ooh, I've got to listen to this. And so she began to tell her story that she said, when she was nine years old, uh, she was raised in a home as an only child with a mother and father that were devout atheists, not agnostics. And so for you kids here, an atheist is someone that believes there is no God. An agnostics is someone who's saying, I'm not sure there's a God. But this little girl grew up in a home where mom and dad said, there is no God. And she met a friend at school that was wearing a cross. And her friend asked her, "Um, do you believe anything? And she said, I'm not sure. And she said, what do you believe? She said, well, I believe in Jesus. And that's why I wear this cross. And she said, tell me what happened. She said, well, um, Jesus is God the Son and the Son of God. And he died for me on the cross on Good Friday. And what we did to him was really bad. But what he did for us is really good because... He took all of my sins that that I committed and all the sins that all of God's people committed and placed them on Jesus. And when he was buried in the ground, um, that's where our sins stayed. And when he rose up from the dead, our sins stayed in the ground, but he rose up. And so the cross is a symbol of, of the life that I have with Jesus. And I'll spend my whole life forever with him. And I'll get to see my mama and my papa and all my cousins and all the people in the Bible. And that's why I wear a cross. And then this little girl said, well, can I have a cross? And she wore it home, and then her daddy saw it. And her daddy saw it and said, honey, what's that around your neck? She says, it's a cross. It's, it's... My friend told me about Jesus, and I like this. This is good. And he said, oh, I don't know about that. He said, um, that is a symbol of human torture and political violence. Would you please take that symbol of human torture and political violence off around your neck? And she did. And then the interviewer said, are you OK with your dad? She goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm OK with my dad. He, just, he was just doing um, what, what he believed. Um, but it didn't dissuade her, in her simple, newfound faith, of saying that the cross is good. The book of Lamentations um, ends with a prayer. It's written by a poet, most likely Jeremiah, and these five chapters our prayer. It's a a, a liturgical prayer. And the first four chapters begin with the first four letters of the Hebrew alphabet. The fifth chapter that I read to you this morning doesn't begin with the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, but it has exactly 22 pericopes or thoughts. And the Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters. And so in a way, this poet is saying, I'm going to lament from beginning to end. And lament has a beginning and lament has an end. And As God's people, sometimes our worship is filled with sorrow. And so this is a legitimized way in the Bible saying that sorrow is a legitimate form of praise to God. But because it has a completeness to it, it comes to an end. And it ends this way where the the poet simply says, Lord, how long will you cast us off forever? Restore us to yourself, please. You see, because during this writing, this, the poet is remembering that God's people had been unfaithful and the land that God had given them and the temple that God had given them and the Torah that God had given them, all had been taken away. They were taken away out of Israel. They were taken away from their temple. They didn't have their law. They were gone. Their homes, their families were torn into. And the poet said, Oh, Lord, please, we've done bad. We've been unfaithful. Please restore us to yourself. I think this is Good Friday because... That prayer that was uttered by that poet was picked up by Jesus on the cross. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's taking up that prayer. And he's fulfilling it. And he's answering it. And he's accomplishing for us what only God can do. The forgiveness of our sins. I think Good Friday is good for one simple and profound reason. This this is the day that God's revolution of restoring us to himself began. It began on Good Friday. Too often as Christians we say, well, we can't wait to rush through Good Friday because we get Easter Sunday. So we tolerate Good Friday. We bear with it. But it's only good because it anticipates Sunday. No. You know, when Jesus says it is finished on the cross, that's the day that God's revolution of restoring us to himself, it began right there. Now it was busted wide open on Easter Sunday and then it went worldwide on Pentecost. But I think between the sixth hour and the ninth hour, between noon and three, when Jesus took up that prayer, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then it is finished. And then ultimately, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's the wondrous cross that we boast about. That's the goodness of this day. I think part of the reason that we may have difficulty of calling Good Friday good is because um, we realize that the apostles abandoned Jesus, we realize our sins put him up there, And, and we also think that he was abandoned by everybody, even including his own father. Sometimes his preachers were so exuberant to describe the horrors of the cross. And they were horrible. The chasm of the abyss where Jesus felt the full weight of divine judgment for us. The abandonment that he felt. We think that it was so complete, and it was complete, that it actually severed fellowship with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. That at that moment in time... That Jesus, who often said in the scriptures, the Father and I are one. We sometimes mistakenly say that that fellowship was broken between the Father and the Son. That can't happen. Well, but didn't the Father turn his face away? Well, when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He opened up to us the entire Psalm 22. We read 22 verses of it. This morning, well, this afternoon. Let me read to you verse 23 and 24 of that psalm that Jesus reminds us because he fulfills this entire psalm. And in Psalm 22, verses 23, listen to what the psalmist speaks of as he's describing what Jesus will go through. I will tell you your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all of offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. I read to you from John chapter 16 as Jesus was talking to his apostles before his high priestly prayer. He said, the hour is coming that you all will leave me. But don't be afraid. I give you peace. My peace I give you. Not that the world gives. I give you my peace. But I want you to know something Jesus said. My Father, my Father will not leave me. Why do we think that the Father left Jesus? Well, since we turned away, we just assumed the Father turned away. And I know I'm stepping on toes a little bit, but sometimes when we sing songs, songs stick to us more than the scriptures. And songs can be beautiful in their attempt to describe the beauty of the cross. They can say things that are, well, that we imagine, but that may not be there. Um, I love the song. In fact, I think we should continue to sing the song. How deep the Father's love for us. In one line in the song by Stuart Townsend, he said, um, how great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face, what? Away. That's not what Jesus said. Well, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yes, he, he had experienced the fullness of the divine judgment for our sins. You're exactly right. But the unity of the father and son could never be broken. Let me ask you this. In Romans 8, when, when, when Paul says to us... Neither neither height, nor depth, nor principalities, nor powers can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. If nothing in this created world can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, is there anything in this world, including a cross, that can separate the Father from the love of the Son? Is there anything? No. No. Was Jesus forsaken? Yes. Where was the Father? Right there with him. He was weeping with him and for him. He said, I was left, but, but he didn't leave me. And how do we know that? Because right after Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The second to last word on the cross Jesus said was this. It is finished. To whom is Jesus speaking? First and foremost to his father. Father, you so love the world. And I learned from you to love those all, all people. And I've come to do your will. I'm doing this because I love you, Pop. It is finished. And what's the last thing Jesus said? How far away is the Father? Into your hands I commit my spirit. The Father was right there with him. He did not turn his face away. I think the reason that we don't like to look at the cross or think about it, that if, if the apostles turned their face away and the Father turned his face away, maybe we should. I think the Bible's saying the exact opposite. We should survey this wondrous cross. Not because it leads to Easter Sunday, and it does, which is glorious, but on this Christ Jesus, on this cross, Jesus said, it is finished. And all of our sins were taken away and buried in that tomb and never to mark us again. You know, Peter Lighthart, one of our pastors said, in Jesus, he doesn't just give us a new future, He gives us a new past, I love that. His story is our story. His story is ours. He gives us a new path and a new past, he restores us to himself. When we lived in Santa Fe for 13 years, um, I always remarked driving through the various streets, half our dirt roads in, in Santa Fe, and through the highways, you would see what we call descansos, do you all know what descansos are? Descansos are roadside crosses. And descansos are markers where people have died either in a biking accident or a car accident that are dotted along freeways and side roads. And very often descansos are placed on private property. And when it happens, New Mexicans just leave it alone. They put a, And a descanso is a cross. Descanso in Spanish means rest or intermission. And this is the resting place of a loved one. Why are Desconsos placed there? Well, because at one time, see, this is where that little girl's father was right. Crosses were used as a symbol of human torture and political violence. But Paul tells us in Colossians that Christ, when he died for us, nailing our transgressions on that tree, canceling our debt, he disarmed the principalities and powers, making a mockery of them and putting them to open shame and to the world and political leaders, and say, "You think you can frighten people about the horrors of death with the cross, with political torture and violence? See this cross. You look into this cross now, and it's a portal to heaven. This cross now is a window, and heaven and earth kiss through this cross. And now, little girls and little boys can wear it because it's no longer a sign of violence, but a sign of beauty. Now, I didn't say pretty. I said beauty, because what Jesus did for us." is beautiful. This is a good Friday. This is the day that God's revolution to restore us to himself and all things happened. This is a good day. This is the day that we look at him because he loves us. We don't turn our faces away anymore. This is the day that Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is finished. And into your hands I commit my spirit. This is the day that he restored us to himself. God bless you on this very good Friday. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.